Wow, what a powerful morning we are having together. Love hearing Karshala sing that last song. Wesley, thank you for doing such a great job for us in worship. Love the thoughts that Todd brought around the table, and we've been waiting on a long time to welcome Emma Pardon. So um, we are in great shape today. And I get to, on top of all that, I get to give you heaven, you know? Uh, sometimes you hear someone say, that, you need to go out there and give them hell. I have the privilege as a preacher to give them heaven, amen? And, and today that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about it, all right. Uh, a couple months ago, we were in our, our habit series, and I brought up a woman named Sarah Salvander. Uh, she's a professor at University of Texas in um, astrophysics. She grew up in an atheist home. And the story I told you is that she grew up in an atheist home and never believed in God. And then she encountered a couple of Christian professors. And then she began to study the universe and the intricate detail of God's creation. And she came to the belief that if there was this kind of design, there had to be a designer. And she came to faith. I didn't tell you the whole story. A few years after that, she was married and she had her first baby, and she had a challenge to her faith because her child was born stillborn. So she was blessed by the hospital to hold this lifeless baby for a few hours. And this brilliant woman said in the middle of that, she bonded. And she kept having this thought. It doesn't sound logical, but it was her thought that she was meant to be buried with her daughter, Eleanor. And so she goes in this very dark place. What, what rescued her? What rescued her was the reality of heaven. And she went deeper into heaven, and where her daughter was, she came to this conclusion. I, I wish I would have come to this kind of conclusion. She says, I knew my Eleanor would now be parented by none other than her heavenly father himself. What a thought. And then listen to her words. They'll be up here on the screen. Talking about her daughter, Eleanor. Knowing she was safe in a realm of indescribable love, joy, peace, and beauty. And that this would be the place in which she would eventually be reunited. I was finally released from my despair. She said, I experienced a vision of Eleanor's body being gently taken from my arms by God and carried up to heaven. And that was the precise moment I had peace. There was no better place for her to be. And as a mother, that was the only way I could really let her go. What a story. But what it illustrates for you and I is that heaven is an incredible game changer. It changes everything about what we will have around us forever, but it also changes the way we handle difficulties and trials here on this earth. And guys, as we talk about heaven today, we're going to move on from last week where we talked about the things that were no more. And we made quite a list of things that you will never find in heaven, and like we exclaimed, that was enough. But today it gets even better. Not only are there things that will be no more, there are things that, but this is the way it will be. And listen, the greatest blessing of heaven, the greatest promise of heaven is found in this one line. They will see his face. Everything amazing, everything great, everything blessed about heaven 
will come from this one fact that we see the face of God. Now, today, we're going to start off by looking at the history of FaceTime. And then we're going to see the the power of FaceTime. Now, most of us, when we hear FaceTime today, we think of an iPhone. FaceTime came out in the year 2010, iPhone 4. Anybody still got an iPhone 4? But it was, for those of us grandparents and parents, it was a game changer. We could interact with our children who live far away, just like Todd was talking about. During COVID, for many of us, it was the way we stayed connected with people that we loved. But when it came to FaceTime with God, let me just go and tell you, it didn't get off to a really good start. for, For most people, the vision of having FaceTime with God was so very scary. Now let's look at some stories here. Look at a lot lot of scripture today. Exodus chapter 33. We see when the first time this is mentioned, and this one's positive. It said, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Sounds good. But we go just a few verses down to verse 20, and we get a completely different idea. But, he said, the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see it and live. Oh, goodness, guys, is, is there a contradiction between verse 11 and, and, and verse 20 here? That Moses saw God face to face, and now if he did, he wouldn't live? Well, I think if you look closely, you'll see there's a change that happens in verse 18. In verse 18, Moses requests to see the glory of God. Now, now the glory of God may not sound like a big deal to us, but the word glory actually means literally the weight of God. The, the, the entire weight of his presence, of his character, of everything about it. So I think in verse 11, what he's talking about is Moses had a personal relationship with God. Someone big time or famous may come up and you might say in a conversation, you know, I know them personally. I think that's what that was saying. In verse 20, it's when Moses says, I want to see all of you. And God says, you can't handle that. And so look what God does in verse 21. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass you. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. What is this deal about varying degrees of seeing God? Why can Moses see his back but not his face? Well, we actually get an answer in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Listen to this. Without holiness, no one will ever see the Lord. You see, what does it mean for God to be holy? It means to be above us. It means for him to be other. It means that he is perfect. Remember what we read last week in Revelation chapter 21? That nothing impure would enter heaven. Because God is perfect, and we cannot, we cannot bear to be in the presence of his, his perfection with our imperfection. And so God begins to reveal himself in different degrees. Look at what happens when Jesus came. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. Jesus saw him because he's perfect. Who is himself God and is the clo- in the closest relationship with the Father, he's made him known. Jesus comes and brings the curtain back and says, you want to see God? Let me give you more of a picture of God. 
In fact, by the time we get to chapter 14, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. You've seen God. And so as we walk through our Christian life, our goal is to keep our eyes on Jesus. But it is not until Jesus comes that we will fully experience his glory. In fact, my favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to what it says. I think this is how we grow. So all of us who've had that veil removed can see, pay attention to these two words, see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who's the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Because the process of spiritual growth is through worship and Bible study and prayer and encounters with people and nature. You begin to experience God. You begin to see God. And slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit begins to change you into the image of God. If you want the, the theological word for this, it's sanctification. Sanctification means to be made holy. You are sanctified more and more and more the more you see God. The First Corinthians 13 reminds us, So far, we can't completely see it. For now we see only as a reflection as in a mirror. Speaking of Jesus, the perfect one. Then, when he comes back, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There'll come a point where you will see God face to face. And just like he knows you fully right now, you will know him fully. When does that moment happen? 1 John 3, verse 2. Look at this one. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. You see, this process of God revealing more and more of himself until we'll finally see him and become just like him. How, how would you explain that? Well I, well, I love Todd's illustration about FaceTime. We, we all love FaceTime. And I've got four grandchildren in Huntsville, and we almost FaceTime every day. And love seeing them. Such a blessing. But it's not like holding them. It's not like them being in my house. It's not like sitting around a table with them. It's completely different. It's good, but it's not what we want in the long run. It's like the analogy Paul said. He says, right now, we see dimly as in a mirror. Now, now we don't get that because our mirrors are really good, unfortunately, right? I mean, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, uh, sorry, but you're seeing a pretty clear reflection. Sometimes that's why you want to walk away from it, right? But in Paul's day, mirrors were nothing more than polished metal. And so as, as Paul would say, you barely see, you dimly see, you see the outline, But when you finally see Jesus face to face, we'll see everything. Maybe a better illustration will be something we've all learned to appreciate is sonograms. I see some folks out here that are expecting babies. Show that next picture. And we get this little sonogram, and we're so proud of it. And we show it off to everybody. This is the baby that's coming. But, I mean, look, I mean, it's it's rather dim, gray, and then when the baby is born, and the baby's in living color, and the baby is breathing, and, and the baby is crying, and the baby is laughing, and you, you're in the presence of the baby, guess what happens to that sonogram? 
That sonogram you put on Facebook, that sonogram you put on your refrigerator, you don't really care about that anymore. It's not much because now you've seen the real thing. And that's what happens to us spiritually. Right now we see dimly, we see outlines, but one day we will fully see him. We don't pay attention to the sonogram anymore. So what's the power of this? And, and, And why can we one day see God and not burn up? Why can we go from seeing glimpses of God to seeing the full weight of his glory? Why can we go from seeing God dimly to seeing him crystal clear? What happens when Jesus comes back? We are restored to what happened in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. We were to be in the image of God. And in the fall, we lost the image of God. But when Jesus comes back and Eden is restored, we now reflect the image of God. And what happens when we see God is here's the good news. It doesn't destroy us. It changes us. You say, well, why can that be? Everybody through the Bible was look at Isaiah, scared to death to see God. Didn't think he could live. Well, here, here's the deal. Listen to some of these pictures of heaven. Revelation 7, 14, they washed their robes and they were made white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 22, 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes. These are heavenly pictures. Why can we now be confident to stand face to face with God? Because the blood of Jesus makes us completely pure and holy. You see, listen, this is an ongoing process. When you came to Christ and you were saved, God began to look at you differently. Though you still had some issues in your life and you weren't practically holy, theologically the Bible says when God looks at you, what he actually sees is perfection. Because you have been clothed with Christ. You've been covered with Jesus. So when God looks and sees you through the blood of Jesus, right now you appear perfect. We know practically that's not true. That the rest of our life is that process of sanctification for us becoming more and more like him. And then finally, when we get to heaven, we see him face to face and we are changed into his likeness. Why? Because the blood of Jesus makes us holy to be in the presence of God. So it's not a time of destruction. It's a time of perfection. You see, as you see on the screen here, heaven is a place of perfection. Everything will be perfect. Some of you have been a little uncomfortable with me teaching that your body is going to resurrect. I believe it will. I think the Bible clearly teaches that. And some of you said to me, I don't want my body. And I know you're talking about my body, so I understand that, all right? I, I don't want your body. I mean, I, I, I won't. No, listen to me, guys. When you resurrect, you will have a perfect body. If I'm walking down the streets of heaven, you might tap your friend and say, hey, there's Buddy Bell. Aren't you surprised he's here? I mean, you, we will know each other. Your body will be made perfect, but it's true through Scripture. You will be recognizable. Now, one question I keep getting through this series, I just want to take a little side detour and talk about for a moment, is the issue of cremation. Because as you teach the bodily resurrection, many of us go, well, is cremation something that would interfere with that? Some Christians think it's something a person shouldn't do. But listen to what Ecclesiastes says. 
When you take away their breath, we call that death, they die and return to the dust. My friends, listen to me. One way or the other, your body is going to turn into dust. Whether I die now and Jesus comes back a thousand years from now and my body's dust, or whether I'm cremated, I'm not into cremation, but whether I would be cremated, it's the same thing. Listen to what a scholar Scott McKnight said. Cremation simply speeds up the inevitable return to the dust from which God will remake us into resurrected bodies designed for heaven itself. So, heaven's a place of perfection, perfect bodies. Let me tell you the most important things that are going to be perfect in heaven. And here's what I love about the last five things I'm going to share with you. All of this flows from the character of God. The best things about heaven are what comes from seeing God face to face. First of all, we will experience perfect love. You saying just a few moments ago about how the foundation of our life is the love of God. 1 John 4 verse 16 would define God. God is love. He's completely loving. And guys, listen to me. This is so awesome. When you get to heaven you'll get to continue this love relationship with God that you began on this earth, but now it will be in completion and perfection. You will walk with God. You will talk with God. You will laugh with God. You will worship God. You will eat a meal with God. You will embrace God, and he will embrace you. I want you just for a moment here to stop and picture a time in your life, a moment in your life where you felt most loved where you felt completely safe. Maybe it was a moment of forgiveness. Maybe it's your wedding day. Maybe it's a moment in the arms of your parents. But I want you to take that moment when you felt most loved, and I want you to multiply it a billion times, and you're beginning to see the perfect love of heaven. Not only that, we'll experience perfect fellowship. Guys, perfect fellowship's been going on in heaven forever. There's been the fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have lived in perfect love and perfect relationship. And when we come to heaven and we see God face to face, we are invited into that perfect fellowship. Now, I love what Todd shared earlier about the meal and the first cuts. And probably the most prevalent picture of heaven in the Bible is an incredible banquet, meal, party, whatever word you want to use. Listen to Isaiah put, how Isaiah, Isaiah put it. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Guys, I'm telling you, in heaven we'll keep the two greatest commandments perfectly, to love God and to love people. We'll be around this table of people. Now, some of you that are introverts, I'm scaring you a little bit right now, right? You think, that that doesn't sound so hot to be around people all the time. I mean, that's just going to wear me out. I want to remind you of John chapter 14. Some older translation says he's gone to prepare mansions for us. The actual word there is rooms, okay? So if you get tired of being with us, you can take a break and go to your own little individual room, introverts, and just spend some time by yourself. It's going to be okay. Because we're going to have perfect fellowship forever. Not only that, guys, we're going to have perfect beauty. If we, if, 
and you go to your life group today and you study Revelation 21 and 22, he's going to go in great detail about, you know, perfect jewels and streets of gold and mountains and cities and all these pictures of the perfect beauty of heaven. Sometimes we glimpse that on this earth. We, there's a group of us that prays every Sunday morning at um, 7.45 about our services. And we were praying this morning. Michael Jordan came in. He always prays. And Michael Jordan was praying. He just made me think of this moment. He said, God, I drove in today in the sunshine and the grass and the trees. And I saw the birds and I saw the bunny rabbits. <laughs> Time out. I never thought I'd hear the words bunny rabbits come out of Michael Jordan's mouth. All you guys in RSVP, he's just ruined his image. He's into bunny rabbits. I mean, but what was he trying to say? He's what we often say when we see something really beautiful. We go, wow, if this earth can be this beautiful, if I can be on top of that mountain or walk in the beach and see this kind of beauty or seeing the glistening calm water on the lake first thing in the morning, if it can be this beautiful, can you imagine what God's going to do in the restored earth? It's going to be a place of amazing beauty. Whether you like the outdoors and mountains and the beauty of nature, or you like the cities and beautiful architecture and beautiful art, it's all going to be there. And then it's going to be a place of perfect joy. Augustine said, God is the end of our desires. When we finally see God, our desires are fulfilled. May I say this morning, heaven is going to be pleasurable. Now, often we think, wrongly, that God's anti-pleasure. That God is anti-hedonism. What what is hedonism? Hedonism is making pleasure your God. Of replacing God with what's the next fun thing I can do that's more important. But God loves pleasure. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, he says, He has given us all things to enjoy. So, you're reading a good book, or going to a great ball game, or standing on top of that mountain, or walking that beach, or enjoying a great movie. God's not upset about that. He wants you to have that kind of pleasure. It's just like as a father, any of their parents or grandparents, you love to give gifts. That's, that's, there's a thrill of giving a gift. But the greatest thrill is not giving the gift. The greatest thrill is seeing your kids, your grandkids enjoy the gift. And listen to me, my friends, that's what God does in heaven. He watches us enjoy every perfect gift to the fullest. And that leads us to one more point. In heaven, there will be perfect worship. Everything I've said to this point, perfect love, fellowship, beauty, joy, leads us to this place of worship. Most of the scenes in Revelation of heaven are incredible worship scenes. Now, I've heard us all, as I've been preaching, this sort of struggle with that. You think, you know, just one long, continuous worship service, many of us struggle with an hour and 15 minutes, more or less, eternity. We think maybe that'd be sort of boring. But first of all, let me say, I hope it's obvious what we said. That's not all you're going to do. But I can promise you, as you worship, and it'll be a lot of what we do, it will never be boring. You ever known somebody, and once you get past the service, the more you got to know them, the more you loved them, the more intriguing they were, the more fascinating? 
or maybe a subject that became more and more fascinating to you, I want you to know this. You will never, ever in all of eternity lose fascination with God. The more you know him, I can promise you this, the more you'll love him. The more he'll reveal himself, he will become fully known. As one song says, as eternity unfolds, the thrill of knowing him will only grow. So my friend, nobody's going to have to force you to go to a worship service. Oh no. When you see the full glory of God, you're going to fall on your face in worship. And, and, and for people like me, man, it's going to be a time of perfect voices and perfect worship. And you're going to love it. So let's think about what we talked about forever. Look at just these list of, this list of everything that will be in heaven. Now, here, here's the really cool thing. Really, really awesome. On top of this, it'll never end. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. We will be with the Lord how long? Look at the screen, next screen. We will be with the Lord forever. Say it with me. We will be with the Lord forever. Guys, it'd be worth it if we did this for 10 minutes or 10 years or 100 years. But that's not the promise. The promise is we will be in the presence of God forever. And I want to illustrate this in an old illustration, illustration I first saw from Francis Chan that I think just displays it. This rope illustrates eternity, and it goes on and on and on. And if I had enough rope, it'd go all the way around this worship service, worship center, go all the way down I-85. It'd make it through Canada. It'd make it across the world because it would go on forever and ever. Guys, that's eternity. But you may have noticed on the very end of this rope, part of it's red. Where the white part represents eternity, the red part represents life right now. Now, here's our problem. Here's my problem. I put a whole lot more focus on the red part than the white part. I think a whole lot about what's going on here. Can I pay this bill? Can I go on this vacation? Can I make retirement look good? All these things we put focus on. In fact, at times, I literally get obsessed about part of this red mark. And here's the really sad thing that happens with so many of us is because we are so obsessed with this earth, often trying to make heaven on earth, which will never happen. I'm so obsessed with this red part. I tend to forget about the white. I tend to forget that what's really going to be important is where I am forever, guys. Listen, the meaning and purpose of the red part of the life on this earth, the only real significance of it in the long run will be, do you choose to live with God forever or not? Do you choose to surrender your life to Jesus, be washed in the blood of the Lamb, so that you can grow into here, see Him face to face, and not be burned up, but be changed? So I wonder about you today. I wonder about me. I'm not studying this last night. I just had to get on my knees and pray. I just had to confess to God, I am way too concerned about the red part. I need to focus on what's going to come. 
And I had to focus on my choices here being the things that lead us to that moment of glory. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, Philippians chapter 3. He says, I do one thing. What do you do, Paul? One thing, you're kidding me. I do one thing. I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul, you do more than one thing. You make tents, you preach, you plant churches. No, 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 no. He's saying, compared to my desire to know Christ and to go to heaven, everything else appears to be nothing. I, I can so obsessed about what's going to happen here that you could look at my life and basically say, Paul, you do one thing. What's the one thing you do? What's the one thing I do? What's the one thing you're obsessed with? I'd say if we really understand what we're talking about today and how awesome this can be, the one thing we do is exactly what Paul did in this little red spot. What we do is we pursue the calling we've had heavenward in Christ Jesus. Knowing that no matter what life throws at us, a tragedy, a disease, a stillborn baby, there's an eternity of love and fellowship and joy and beauty in the face of God. And so this morning, we're about to sing. If you've never been washed in the blood of Jesus, man, that's what's going to allow you to stand before God perfect. If somehow over the last months and years you've lost the focus on eternity and you're so obsessed about this, you're actually miserable. You think it looks crazy to live like Paul. No, it's not crazy, guys. What's crazy is for us to understand this and live completely focused on this. And if today you need this church to pray for you to regain your focus on things above, come right now while we stand and sing.